0: Good afternoon. For the next hour, we invite you in to a community conversation that took place not long ago that involved the Governor of the State of Minnesota, Tim Walz, Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan, commissioners from the Department of Education, the Deputy Commissioner, Dr. Heather Mueller, the Education Commissioner, Mary and Ricker, and the Assistant Commissioner for the Department of Revenue, Robert Doty. That team met with the African American Community Response Team led by Louis King and a cohort of people who were concerned about the education and the health of our community. Community, especially when it concerns the health and minds of our community. The North Star Network, NSN, is a new initiative representing a shift on the part of the African American Community Response Team from immediate pandemic response and recovery to reinvention. They're looking for a quality education for all children. Utilizing the genius of the community, existing relationships, and the broad experiences, the NSN, the North Star Network, is creating an ecosystem of learning and excellence in a time of upheaval by filling a leadership vacuum that has seen African American communities let down time and time again. A recent New York Times column outlined the pressing concerns of millions of parents around the country – How is it possible, for example, to return to in-person schooling in the midst of a deadly pandemic, which could threaten the safety of students, teachers and families? In the event of distance learning, how can parents juggling work and parenting also take on the role of educator? And while the affluent has the money to ensure quality education, the working class and poor don't have those resources. Many African-American youth are already behind academically and can't afford to lose more ground. There is an urgency to act now, according to the AACRT, to react, recover and to reinvent. And this is the problem before us. In this conversation, you will hear those questions put forward to the governor and his team, and you'll also hear the response coming from people from the African-American Community Response Team And you'll be able to listen firsthand to hear the response coming from the governor, the lieutenant governor and the commissioners of education, as well as the assistant commissioner from the Department of Revenue, as well as community leaders, as I mentioned. Let's listen in now as the conversation begins with a comment from the assistant commissioner from the Department of Revenue, Robert Doty, which leads us into a robust discussion about education and taking care of the young minds of our children in this community.
1: Thank you so much for for joining this call and being part of this discussion. Um, the way we're going to do this is that we're going to start off with uh, opening remarks uh, from Governor Walls and from Lieutenant Governor Flanagan. Um, I'm also going to ask uh, Commissioner Ricker to to say a few words, and then also uh, Deputy Commissioner uh, uh, Heather Mueller will also say a few words, and then I'm going to turn it over to Lewis to kind of set the set the context for the discussion, and then we'll be turning it over to Freddie Bell to ask some questions. And uh, Governor, why don't you open us up with some some opening remarks, please?
2: Yes, good afternoon, everyone. I'm grateful for the folks who are on here. Uh, I want to thank Freddie Bell and KMOJ for being a voice through the community, making sure that platform is there and, and, and always bringing us together to, uh, to listen, um, not to talk, but to listen most of the time. And to Lewis, um, we start to try and understand during... Uh, COVID 19 and other discrepancies and, and uh, inequities, uh, there's no one in the state that knows more about actually addressing those, especially around education. And we're grateful to have you. And to all the folks who formed the African American Community Response Team, thank you. We, we know once again, uh, not surprising anybody on this call or anyone listening in, um, that inequities show themselves, especially in the black community. And there's folks that are on this and addressing it. And the state wants to make sure we're good partners, wants to make sure we're providing what resources we can, but, but listening for the solutions that are wanted in the community, the ones that are gonna work. And so uh, the Lieutenant Governor and I are here with Commissioner Ricker, Deputy Commissioner Mueller from Minnesota Department of Education. But uh, this, is a, uh, this is an important conversation that uh, we need to make sure that we're, uh, we're providing the support necessary. So Lieutenant Governor.
3: Thank you so much, Governor. Well, good afternoon, everybody. We are are certainly uh, in it right now as we are looking at uh, COVID nineteen, as well as uh, the the continued trauma that has occurred in our community after the the murder of George Floyd and um, what both of these incidents have have done. Both the pandemic um, and the murder of George Floyd is just continue to. Uh, demonstrate the deep inequities that exist in our state Um, and my hope is that through this conversation and so many others we can have really tangible solutions that come uh, directly from the community uh, as to how we will uh, turn the curve um, on on these inequities. And uh, I'm just grateful to to be here with with all of you uh, today and to see a lot of friends on this call Um, and uh, and just know that um, there's going to be a a lot of people uh, who have a lot of opinions about what we should do as we are looking down uh you know into the future about this uh budget deficit that we see and and i think um you know what's really key and really clear is as we talk about centering equity and inclusion and in decision making that we also talk about what it means to truly be anti-racist and that is how we are transitioning in our administration into this decision making knowing that um as we talk about uh, making decisions with regards to uh, the budget, that we are not doing it at the expense of our communities who need our support uh, most during this time. So uh, with that, I'm just uh, eager to to get into this conversation with, with all of you, and just thank you for um, just being in, in space, in this space together.
1: Thank you, Lieutenant Governor, I appreciate that. Um, Commissioner Ricker, could you please give us a few words, please?
4: Absolutely. Thank you, Robert. And thank you, Governor Wells and Lieutenant Governor Flanagan for centering uh, Minnesotans in your leadership. And thank you, KMOJ and Freddie Bell. I am so grateful for you. Thank you all for inviting us to join you this afternoon. From the very beginning of the COVID-19 response, it has been a top priority of the Minnesota Department of Education to have opportunities like this to engage with Minnesotans so that everyone's voice is being heard as we continue to make important decisions regarding our schools alongside our school communities. In developing the Safe Learning Plan for the 2020-21 school year, we engage students, families, educators, school leaders, and advocates in every corner of the state. The engagement included weekly calls with our school leaders, weekly virtual meetings with the Distance Learning Advisory Council, made up of advocates and educators, which included more than 150 participants from students, families, and educators and advocates, and a fall planning survey for families, which was offered in four languages, and received more than 130,000 completed responses over the course of three weeks from across Minnesota. We also did a distance learning survey. Uh, There was a distance learning survey for teachers with more than 13,000 teachers and paraprofessionals completed responses between May 27th and June 28th. Had meetings with our charter school authorizers regularly, as well as meetings with school district racial equity directors from across Minnesota regularly and countless other meetings and conversations with members and leaders of education organizations and community organizations. Over the course of all of these conversations and surveys and listening opportunities, we learned what went well for students, families, and educators during our spring's distance learning experience, what needed to be better about it, and what students and families and educators were thinking about as they looked ahead to the fall and what supports they were going to need from their schools and from the state of Minnesota and the Department of Education. What it all really came down to is the need to be able to respond at the local level with a plan that is tailored for each community and a really solid system of support from the Department of Education and the Department of Health. And that is how we landed on a localized, data-driven approach grounded in the science for this school year. I'm going to hand it over to Deputy Commissioner, Dr. Heather Mueller, to walk through that approach.
5: Thank you, Commissioner Ricker. Uh, Good afternoon, everybody. As Commissioner Ricker mentioned, the approach that we've determined for the upcoming school year is really a localized, data-driven approach. And what this means really within the Department of Education and our partnership with health is that we developed a more comprehensive set of parameters that really help school districts and charter schools determine the safest learning plan for each of their school communities. Now, like these uh, parameters included county level data for cases of COVID-19, as well as public health guidelines and safety requirements that schools need to be able to meet for each learning model and i'm sure that you've probably heard us talk a number of times really about those two sides of the equation the first side of the equation really being focused in on the um, county health data and what that looks like in positive cases per 10,000 people as well as the other side which is really looking at what's required once once we are able to identify What our county level data looks like, what other pieces do we need to have in place in order to really ensure that our students can come back into a building? And what I appreciate is that from from the outset, the governor and the lieutenant governor really centered the safety, the health, and the wellness of our students and staff and their families, being really thoughtful about if we are to start anywhere, it is to start there. And then really to build kind of from there, our next layers of our work means if we're going to look at that county level data, then what do they have to have in place in order to to secure the safety, health, and the well-being of our students and our staff and our family? And so our superintendents and our charter school leaders are not making these decisions alone. They are working closely with their local incident command teams, or some call them advisory councils, as they are consulting with their local public health officials or the Minnesota Department of Health, as well as the Department of Education to work through any any questions that they have it really gives them the opportunity to really think about our county level data indicates this on this side of the equation we have some questions about what we can do to in order to ensure that we can have students back in place or doing a hybrid learning model we've also talked about the fact that if they want if a school district wants to be more restrictive then they can do that but if they choose to be less restrictive than what was indicated, then we do need to walk through a consultation. And these important partnerships really don't end um, the day that the learning model is determined. Within those conversations, we know that the impact of the virus on a given community can change seemingly overnight. So the health and the education experts at the state and the local level are gonna be continuing to work closely with our schools throughout the entire year. And we're doing this by setting up a process of uh, regional support teams across the state that are going to be a local source of support as soon as a school raises their hand for assistance Uh, these teams will be proactively monitoring the public health situation in each community and will contact school leaders if a change to their plan is needed at any point in time in the school year and really serves as a resource that that superintendent doesn't feel as though they're looking at that data alone they're not monitoring the safety health and wellness alone in their districts but they also have somebody uh, another group or team members who are really there to support them. Really, all of this is just to say that we're ready in Minnesota to ensure that each school is starting out the school year in the safest way possible, continuing to center on the safety, the health and the wellness of our students and staff, and that they have the support that they need to keep their students and their staff healthy and safe throughout the school year.
1: Thank you, Deputy Commissioner Mueller. Appreciate that. With that, Louis King, if you would start us off by kind of setting the context for the discussion that we're going to have. Thank you, and thank
6: you, Governor, Lieutenant Governor, and Commissioner. I like at the onset. would like to thank the monitors, uh, Social Club, for sponsoring this event and supporting the A.A. CRT its efforts to uh, react, recover, and reinvent the African American community uh, during and post-COVID. Uh, Governor, it's good to see you again as an old Sergeant Major and an old Field Artillery officer we understand what it means when the SP kicks off and you go to war with who you got so I'm listening to your commissioners and describing the process and you and I both know process is not strategy so today what we like to do is outline to you our uh, response uh, to this situation especially if you recall since we started asking questions about the opening of school in the um, in the spring and I listened to the explanations very carefully. And by the way, I think you made the absolute right decision. Eric Moon and I have been following information from around the nation. It had to be decentralized, absolutely. Uh, But in being decentralized, uh, that does leave room for holes. And I heard the Deputy Commissioner Mueller speak to schools, schools, schools. What you're gonna hear today is not about schools, but about community, because we recognize the gaps in distance learning. Spring was kind of the pregame where we got to see it. And now we were supposed to develop an approach to deal with it in the fall. And right now we want to point out to you some of the things that we see as holes. And really, they are not to be debated. They, They are facts. And nobody expected you to get it right from the jump. And it's a problem when people can't admit that there were mistakes made or things overlooked and others can bring valuable uh, input to the table. As you recall, Governor, that's why we had AERs as after action review. So look, we're gonna give you one today and then give you an update on where we're headed as for your partnership. And we have a couple of ancillary questions as well. With that, I'll turn it over to Freddie Bell.
0: Thank you, Lewis, for framing that up for us this afternoon. Let's go now to Eric Mahmood. And this question goes to you, sir. How is the African-American community response team facing this distance learning crisis? And I'm wondering in your comments, can you give us some ideas, some details of what has happened to this point and where we find ourselves today?
7: Let me just say, I want to thank uh, the governor and commissioner. I think the safe learning plan that you laid out was comprehensive and uh, very supportive uh, of the schools. I also um, want to answer the question that, that Freddie uh, laid out. Uh, probably back in March, we looked at the uh, challenges that our families were going to face as a result of the uh, COVID crisis and the shutdown of the schools, and we said that there were two issues that they were going to face. Number one, what is the most effective way for our children to learn? Okay, from from a distance. Okay, and obviously, virtual learning is probably the next best thing to being there. But it it didn't provide the full solution. The other challenge was creating a conducive environment for learning. So as you see here, this is in the McKinsey Report, where basically it talks about the learning loss would probably be the greatest amongst low-income Black and Hispanic students. And because of the lack of access of high-quality remote learning, that's problem number one. But problem number two is the conducive learning environment. And so one of the things that we looked at Double A C R T was okay if the students can't come to the classroom with the schools being closed, how do we bring the classroom to the students? So we started to envision uh, securing luxury mobile buses with the whole idea that we would take 56 passenger buses where we could social distance students, and these buses would be equipped with um, uh, air conditioning. Wi-Fi, staff support. No more than nine students on the bus with a staff person. will provide them with Chromebooks. Tutors will be on the bus. And essentially, we were able to serve uh, well over 150 students this summer um, in these mobile learning labs in conjunction with uh, Spark that provided our students STEM activities on the outside of the bus. And then we partnered with the uh, Minneapolis Park and Recreation Board, which basically gave us recreational activities. So we created a whole summer program using leveraging the uh, mobile learning labs. So these labs were very safe. Uh, we had no incident the, the whole summer. With COVID, we made sure we had a community worker that would measure the temperatures of the students and the staff as they got on the bus. We provided masks and gloves for all of the students. So as we begin to think about How do we scale this idea? Recognizing that our students were not coming back for the most part, Minneapolis public schools closed, St. Paul public schools closed. How do we scale this idea? Um, So we said, why don't we leverage these underutilized resources in our community, churches, community centers, in order to scale this idea? And so that's when we came up with the community-based uh, Zoom learning labs that we want to present more detail with you. Basically, the North Star Network is now expanding the community-based Zoom learning labs in response to the uh, extension of the distance learning. We believe that the uh, closing the schools represents a potential cl- uh, collapse of the american education system for african-american students Uh, basically we're going to have a managed machine that will uh, leave our students leave our families uh subject to charity prison and all other kind of challenges we view that the north side the north star network uh is more than babysitting we're going to utilize the assets of our community uh which will get our community engaged more with, with education. And this is not a temporary solution. We believe that we'll be able to tap uh, into corporate volunteers, uh, college students. We just had a meeting about two hours ago with St. Thomas University. They have a tutor mentor uh, program. It's typically face-to-face but it's probably not a good idea in this environment. So we're talking to them to uh, be our Zoom mentors. We think that this is a tremendous opportunity for untapped resources in in the community. I'll stop there, uh, Freddie.
0: All right, well, that's a great overview here. We'll be hearing from Zach Robinson, Bill English, and Dr. Asia King. But Governor, I was just wondering if you can just give us a quick reaction to what you've heard from Eric Mahmoud at this point.
2: Well, first of all, Eric, thank you for your leadership. I think that's exactly what we're looking for. If if COVID-19 has taught us anything, we're going to need to be nimble. And as we've said it, we're talking and looking at the community to come up for ideas. And I think you're absolutely right. Uh, any more lost time is going to exacerbate, which was already an untenable situation for uh, for black uh, students. And um I'm just excited about that. These are the types of ideas that are coming up. We've got, uh, our administration on here to listen and see the way that we can partner We're um, we have to come out of this far better than we went into it. Um, and these may be the types of things that the, the silver lining of COVID might be these types of ideas actually start getting implemented. So I'm, I'm excited to hear it. And I think that's, uh, that's what we're hoping comes out of this conversation.
0: Governor, a quick follow-up question. Are you familiar with anything like this from your contemporaries across the nation?
2: No, and I, I think one of the problems here is, and I should maybe not speak for all that MDE, they're doing a lot of this reaching out because we're exploring you know, models across the, across the country and across the world, but we need to look here at home because all of us on this call are familiar with an education system that, that produces some pretty good results for white students and absolutely appalling results for uh, black students. And so I'm I'm not hearing much. I was just on with a group of governors and the vice president. Um, the message is get kids back to school and they're kind of leaving it at that. So I, I would once again say we certainly shouldn't reinvent the wheel. But I got to be honest with you, we may be reinventing the wheel in Minnesota, but a better wheel, one that makes sense. Um, so, no, not at this point in time. And I don't know if anybody uh, the commissioners want to weigh in, but that's the type of thinking we're going to need.
0: And you just mentioned uh, great partnerships, resources, tangible solutions, and that we're moving directly toward that. I'd like to bring in Zach Robinson right now to expand, if you will, Zach on the STEM portion of the learning that uh, Eric McMoo just so wonderfully laid out for us.
8: No problem. Thanks so much, Freddie. And thank you everyone, governor, Lieutenant governor, commissioners for having us here today. Um, I think in expanding on what Eric brought forward, We would uh, just highlight some of the work that happened this summer and all of the community assets, organization, and leadership that was mobilized for youth benefit because it has been truly inspirational. And um, also the systemic approach to our strategy that has yielded multiple outcomes. Let's be clear here. The AACRT and the North Star Network is addressing what is also pre-pandemic problems, such as the achievement gap, the workforce shortage and social and racial, uh, racial justice, but that have been just heightened to crisis level with the pandemic. And so the, the STEM work was already pre-existing and really rolling along in this process through the, the formation of the Northside STEM district um, in order to address uh, education and economics in North Minneapolis and provide that connection point between the achievement gap and the workforce shortage, right? Um, the education that can yield a prosperous life, for the black community. And so this summer, um, what happened in there, there's this graphic, it's a perfect graphic. This is the collection of the North side and seven district and all the partners that are coming together to create the key what Lewis said about strategy, the community, right, the community around education and as education and our youth being the center of our future, and the center of a lot of our community interactions. So when the pandemic hit, we got to basics. You've already heard about Get on the Bus and the dynamic programming that happened in such a short amount of time from a leadership perspective to push forward. And we also did a virtual victory garden initiative where we handed out 750 victory gardens, the World War II idea of a victory garden for food security, but also education as well. And a quick anecdote, those gardens that the AACRT handed out Made it all the way to Minneapolis City Hall, the George Floyd Memorial Garden, and working with Lorinda, Governor Waltz, one of your horticultural staff, to your residents as well. Talk about unity as well. But I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping up and just um, talking about, uh, to close, that the innovation in the STEM district going forward provides pathways to employment and connects education into authentic and dynamic um opportunities for youth that continue to innovate going forward so i i really am excited about pushing forward and i I urge you to continue to work with us to take bold and decisive uh action on behalf of the african-american community response team and so thank you so much for your time there's so much excitement going forward with this and i'm going to go ahead and bounce it back to freddie thank you so much
0: Zach, well said, and I just want to go back. The governor invited commissioners to weigh in on what we've heard from now, Zach and Eric Mahmood. Commissioner Ricker, Commissioner Mueller, comments on what you've heard so far.
4: Yeah, this is Mary Catherine, and thank you so much for inviting a reaction. And first, I absolutely concur with the enthusiasm. Uh, That the governor had in reacting and I would just add mine. I was furiously taking notes on Eric's presentation and now on um, on now on Zach's as well. And it's something that speaks to the heart of uh, what I have seen um, in the many struggles with this pandemic. Um, What I have also seen is some of our greatest assets are blossoming in the community, are being revealed in the community, are being tapped into in ways that they hadn't been before uh, from the community. The idea of a Northside STEM district um, is enduring. This is not just about an emergency response. This is building something that um, our students can benefit from. Uh, for decades, um, and could only get built upon. And so, I'm really looking interest. I am looking into getting more details um, how it got built out, um, how we continue to see all of these community assets around our students, surrounding the space our students are in. Um, to your point, they have left their brick and mortar buildings. Um, they are looking for us to engage with them and be creative for them and alongside them like never before. And just these first two ideas are um, are incredible. And, and just to the very specific point of have I seen anything, in um, talking to uh, commissioners or, or state superintendents across the country, I have not seen a uh, get-on-the-bus idea certainly like this Um, or just recreating an entire neighborhood to be a STEM district like this uh, from any of my colleagues across the country. So um, again, I'm going to keep listening and taking
5: notes. And thank you so much for the generosity of your time and ideas with me.
0: Interesting. Uh, Commissioner Mueller?
5: Um, I I think that what's really important to note is that there are times as an agency where our role is to lead and then at times it's our role to partner and then also to support. And what I appreciate about what I'm hearing is the opportunity to really partner and support. We know that we could have done better, right? Like we what what we what happened in the spring and what we lifted up to your points, I think, started in a really quick, but it was in a really quick manner. And, and our educators and our staff did the very best we could in a very short amount of time. But before that pandemic and before that March date, we recognized that there were concerns. We we have issues where our, our data is deplorable, like the governor has, has articulated for our students of color and for our indigenous students. And so in thinking specifically about our African-American students, Um, It gives us the opportunity to really think about with you in partnership, how is it that we find real strategies, to your point, Lewis, that are targeted and not a process, but really thinking about the strategies that are very targeted and and focused so that nothing in a K-12 education ever hinders a student, that it really only builds on what they want to do next. And so I think I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to to listen and learn in um, in what's in, what's happening, especially around that STEM piece as well. I think that that's something that really feeds directly into a career pathway, right? It's it's never a limitation. It really gives a student a place to to use and, and think about their knowledge about what they're learning right now and how it goes forward. And I and so um, I'm I really appreciate that. So thank you.
0: You're welcome. Before we go to Dr. Asia King, Governor, I'd just like to go back to you just for a second. What would it take to get support from the state resources to support the work just outlined by Eric and by Zach Robinson?
2: Well, thanks, Freddie. I'm, uh, Zach, you'll be glad to know i here at my own home and I just troubleshooted and got myself on. So the STEM stuff does work. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But um, no, I, I think what it is is lifting up these voices. And I think uh, Lewis grounded us at the start and said he wanted us to talk about community.
0: But before we about- get started, though.
2: Yeah, and and to get this to start thinking that way, and and I think listening to the leadership that's on here, um, you can feel it in this discussion. You can feel it when we're going to talk here about COVID response, um, that we have crossed a line where just trying to patch something together or fill it in is no longer going to work. There is a desire here to recreate and reimagine in a very systemic way. And as we've struggled with this achievement gap, as we struggled with home ownership, as we struggled with so many of these things, and of course the, the murder of George Floyd just simply sparked it, the one thing is, is that I'm seeing conversations like this rise up. So I think getting the will of the people, I'm telling you Minnesotans are behind this. And I think, you know, commissioner ricker and deputy commissioner Mueller talked about this about a partnership um some of the times it's going to be important for us just to get out of the way um and i see some movement that's happening in a way that our job can be to facilitate that movement and the way we partner with you is is stepping to the side and making it happen but let's not kid ourselves it is going to take resources we're going to have to invest in a very meaningful way um but we're going to get better outcomes out of this. So I think, and again, all of us are fatigued with Covid nineteen. The inequities are horrific. We're not done with it yet. And from the the falling off of unemployment insurance to some of the other you know really painful things that are happening protecting against evictions, There has got to be a way to see the other side of this. And that's what this conversation is. So I think it's us using the platform of the office to build support, to go out and talk, but to to use it just like we're doing here uh, to stand up this conversation. This is a conversation that should resonate in every corner of Minnesota, because the outcome of this is better education for every one of our children and an economic boom that can come out of this. I've said it and continue to say it wherever you're living in Minnesota over the next 30 years, 70% of this workforce is coming from communities of color in the black community. We need to seize up on that and go. So um, I, I'm optimistic, but I also know that when we're inventing something this big, there's going to be obstacles. Our job is to try and remove them.
6: Okay, um, this, is, this is really great. And we're happy to hear uh, our elected officials and also appointing commissioners, you know, really alert to what we're saying, because the problem that we're facing here with the uh, distance learning is not just an African-American or poor folks um, issue. And I think this says it all. Oftentimes, you know, especially with big bureaucracies. I was a school board member. I was an office, army officer. I get it. But this germ is really forcing people on the ground. They have to do a lot of things differently. All right, so here's the game. The parents, no matter how much money they have, are having to deal with this issue, all right? After all the speeches, here's the nuts and bolts that we got to get down to in a minute. The affluent can afford private tutors. They just fly them in on the jet, bring them in the house, boom, that's it. The middle class, as you're reading, have the pods, and they can go to silver, which I used to pay for my daughter and she, now they're taking it into the house. What I've not heard at all, anywhere Red is what's there for the working class, the waitresses, the people in your department, the mechanic, and the poor folks in North Minneapolis. All of them are in the same boat, but right now we have a situation that's deepening the divide as we speak between the haves and have-nots, and what we need you to recognize is we're bringing forward an approach. We're partnering with the UNCF, bringing in African-American Zoom tutors from Alabama, North Carolina, Florida, uh, kids from the HBCUs. I want you to get the spirit of this and not just the process. And we also recognize that the children have needs that they bring from their homes. Being poor is tough work. I mean, look at this. If you don't have anything right now, you're stuck with the ineffective teaching system and we were already behind when the pandemic kicked in. So what we want, how of today is a path forward and how we truly part together. We understand there's state money coming down the pipeline, federal money coming down the pipeline. We want to talk to you about that as well and how you help us with MPS. Asia, can you talk to them briefly about what we're doing with mental
9: health? Absolutely. So thank you, uh, Governor and Commissioner. Uh, when the pandemic occurred, I personally had to pull both of my kids out of school and get them grounded. The one thing that my nine year old who is in third grade going to fourth said with tears in his eyes was I miss my friends. And he cried, you know, but because of the privilege and because of the resources I was able to have, I was able to get my sister from Georgia to do Zoom tutoring. So she was able to look at his curriculum and go through it day by day. And she is an educator and she was able to sit with him in his resources and help him with, you know, what he needed to do until the rest of the school year was done. So that was a fortunate event for him. But now working as a mental health professional, that's not the case for the 90 percent of my clients and their families we're talking about already the disparities of not having mental health available and ready in order to even have effective mental health. A lot of families had to either leave work and come to sessions and, 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 and really miss out on what they needed to do to continue to survive. And so what we found during COVID was that we were able to easily transition into online therapy. We were able to do uh, uh, videos and, and and encouraging statements for families on what it is to look forward to and how to get resources to continue with uh, being stabilized. Because even though, you know, even though we're providing these services, a lot of our families were not getting this before. And while we're, you know, we're talking about education, we're talking about STEM, but we understand that if you don't have the capacity to deal with the trauma, and we understand trauma as being too much, too fast, too soon, then everything else we're talking about is not going to be sustainable. So what we're asking is that Mental health is really um, the piece that ties this all together. We want people to go back to work. We want people to have education. We want the kids to have safer communities. But with everything that is occurring, uh, uh, the trauma that they're experiencing within their community is becoming overwhelming. So overall, we're just asking and we're saying that mental health has to be the forefront for families and it has to be the forefront of communication because the African-American community, like everything else, has lagged behind in that. But now this is a prime opportunity to make sure that we are getting what we need so that we can be stabilized to move forward. So here, here are some things
6: that we need to know. And, and by now, Governor and Lieutenant Governor, this should have been figured out. What's going on with the infection rate inside the African-American community? There is no transparent data. It's just, and and I love data, I can't find it. It's not readily available. We don't know what's working and what's not working. We, We also brought this up earlier that the education system isn't working and we're disturbed about the lack of diversity at the executive or managerial level. And we don't see how this is possible in 2020 in a progressive administration. Uh, we can't, we're dumbfounded. How could this be possible that there not be a qualified black administrator in all the state of Minnesota serve in the upper echelon of the organization? Knowing the issues that you said that about African-American kids, no one with a connection to the community. And I'm gonna tell y'all something, all right? All this talk about the current situation and this and that—this is the kind of practice that leads to the continuation of the issues. So, on the real, for you know, straight up, uh, something needs to be done about this, and we want an ongoing dialogue with it. This is unacceptable. So, you know, we got people who are educators that will be able to come and talk to you, but something's got to be done about this. Uh, knowing that African American kids are behind. No, and even now with COVID, they're going to fall farther behind. Uh, the governor made a move of bringing Doty in from the finance people over there to have someone to outreach to the community. Smart move. Department needs to figure out the same thing, develop a dashboard, too that is transparent. And finally, um, you've not really communicated with this community, uh, MDE. And that's problematic because we, we're suffering a lot of pain that you hear. I'm very aggressive. I believe that I can overcome anything. But if we can't be partners in it, then you leave us to our own devices and that makes us uncomfortable. And then we come in an aggressive manner. So I would suggest that the second thing to come out of this uh, today is that we're gonna open up a real dialogue and we need your help in dealing with MPS to get the, um, to get the resources required to implement this plan. No one has articulated a plan or our community, except us. You said partner, here's what partnership looks like. It looks like us together having a talk with MPS so that we can get the things in place now. We're inside of 30 days to open a school. This is a shame. We had to come up with a solution. We don't have the resources. And yet our children are the fathers behind. But don't worry about it. We've overcome greater things. So we look forward to working with you again. I do applaud the leadership of the lieutenant governor. I've known Peggy a long time and the governor. I am your friend. And friends tell friends hard truths. Where we are right now is unacceptable. Everybody's got it tough. But you can at least reach out and have a discussion. But we're going to see to it going forward that we do have a meaningful discussion and we get some solutions. We're not here to just complain. As you see, we came forward with something today. The ball is in your court. We've asked for help. So I'm going to turn it back to you, Freddie, and let's get some closing comments from the government and his team.
0: And you said it well. Governor, we'll go back to you and ask you to lead your team.
2: Yeah, no, thank you. First of all, Louis, we uh, we never view it as aggressive when you're out there fighting for our kids. And you're absolutely right. Our expectation is is you tell us as you see it. Um, We've admired this problem for too long. Um, I think it's fair. Uh, your critiques. We will continue to reach out. Uh, as far as uh, the numbers around COVID, I want to make sure our team follows up. Um, I feel like that when we are disaggregating the data, and I don't know why there's a the discommunication of getting it out. We have uh, focused on that, and I, I think we're probably doing it as well as any state, but if you're not getting it, then it's not very useful, and that's what we need to make sure happens. Um, as far as leadership, uh Fair enough, I'll take that critique. We've worked hard to diversify across the, the entire enterprise of government and the judicial system, but um, if you're not seeing it and those voices aren't there, and especially an issue this critical, then that's a fair critique and we have to do better. Um, as I've said so many times, Lewis, on this, is that um, it's not good enough just to get the talking points right. We have to have results. And I always said this on the issue surrounding um, the achievement gap and the failure of our, our black students. Um, I, as a teacher and as a governor, will be judged on the results of that. And we don't have a generation to wait. In fact, we don't have a year to wait. If a student loses a year, it's hard to get that back. So we hear you on this, I take it to heart. I have no expectation that that's gonna be good enough until the results come. Um, I will ask you to continue to um, to partner with us, to give us that fair critique, to make some moves that we can make that, that try and fix this. And and not let this stuff fester to the point where um, people lose faith that we can get it. So I'm uh, I'm hearing you. I'm actually seeing you now that I fixed my computer. Um, and and my pledge to you is, and I think it's I think it's right to do these where the community's listening, where Freddie's helping put this on so that people can hear it and know that we're trying to get it get it uh, get it right. And again, I will welcome any critiques. Um, especially if it is negatively impacting our children and changes need to be made. And that is where we're at.
6: Governor, Side um, Major Governor, should we continue to work with Robert uh, to advance this uh, discussion? Because, as you know, time is short.
2: Yeah, I think so, but I think we should have the expectation, and I'm doing this in real time. I I put a lot of faith and trust those around me. Robert makes decisions, so does Commissioner Ricker and uh, Deputy Commissioner Mueller. Um, I think what we need is, it's obvious that we need to have a discussion with this community about why we don't have that leadership in visible positions that you're seeing. Um, All right,
6: she just sent me her number, and I'll get my people to outreach, Again, I really appreciate your leadership. I think you and Andrew Cuomo make a good team and set a good example those other guys didn't follow, right? We got you work need? to do. We hear you. You got work to do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You know it, too. But we're on your side, and I want you to know we're not just complaining. We're pushing hard. We need your people to help us get this cross the line. We can do
1: it together. Thank you. So, um, I want to make sure that we give, uh, Lieutenant Governor, if you have any any closing remarks that you would like to make,
3: well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate this conversation and for for Lewis uh, and for for Eric and for Zach, many of us have had these same conversations at different times where we might have just been in different chairs, uh, either on different roles on the school board and elected office, part of the nonprofit advocacy community together. And um, now's the time. And so I appreciate uh, the solutions that have been brought forward. And in particular, Dr. King, as you were talking about the trauma and mental health, um, I was recently uh, talking to a a school counselor, um, a native school counselor in greater Minnesota who just named every child now has an ACE score every child in minnesota and mm-hmm. our children black and native children have higher scores uh, to begin with and so as we're talking about you know those investments those dollars that have been sent out to districts are certainly um you know can be used for mental health and should be before our children's learning brains can even show up we have to deal with the trauma and so i just want to just underline that and acknowledge it in this moment because uh even in our own household with my seven-year-old little anishinabe koi like those are the that we are we're in it uh right now and we have access to resources and so like i just i want to just be real about that but the ask for us to partner with you as you approach minneapolis public schools that is a completely appropriate ask in this moment um and to also say uh that we can absolutely do a better job and doing community engagements, uh, through the department of education and, um, and through our office, uh, overall. And so I can, I can feel the, um, we're br- We're literally bringing you the solutions for our community. All we're asking for is for y'all to work with us. So like, I, I hear that and I am appreciative of it and I'm excited about this. And I want to see those buses and I want to see those kids on those buses um, as, uh, and, and seeing it in action um, because uh, this is an opportunity, as y'all mentioned, for, to push reset with um, these relationships. And um, while we are in a great time of turmoil and challenges there um there is an opportunity uh to say enough and so i just i am uh have a lot of gratitude uh, for folks on this call lewis you have my number too um and just uh, i know bill english has got my number and so um (laughs) just expect uh that that we continue these conversations and talk about those resources that have already gone out and how do we make sure that that the community can partner with districts in deciding uh how those resources are utilized
4: First of all, I want to say
6: to Lieutenant, to the governor, that first of all, you're talking to the old forward observer. So we both came from an artillery outfit. Uh, I was in the Korean War. Um, Secondly, I want to thank Lewis for presenting the ideas that we have advanced. Um, They're consistent with what we need. I want to say to Commissioner Ricker, whom I've not met, um, I know you've heard of me as being anti-labor. I am not that. I've always wanted a partnership. I'm looking forward to creating a partnership with you. We start with being partners and we come to the table as equals. We have educators in our community that can help you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. And I'm gonna say farewell. Thank you to the monitors, governor, commissioners, uh, lieutenant governor, we will reach out to you to take the next step in addressing the things that we said today. Again, all the children are counting for us. This worked in Shakopee and It works uh, in North Minneapolis. And what we have to do now is preserve the competitiveness of our workforce and the productivity of our children in the future. Thank you Mm. so much. Thank you, Robert Doty. You're the best. Great decision, whoever made it, to bring him over there. Have a wonderful day.
0: You just heard a robust conversation with the Deputy Commissioner, Dr. Heather Mueller from the Department of Education for the State of Minnesota, the Education Commissioner herself, Mary Catherine Ricker, the Lieutenant Governor for the State of Minnesota, Peggy Flanagan, and Governor Tim Walsh talking about education distance learning and all the ramifications of it. And also, you heard the AACRT team led by Lewis King talking about and asking for resources to help take care of our community, not asking for a handout, but asking for a partnership to solve the educational crisis, not only in the Twin Cities, but, but is being experienced around the country. This is KMOJ with the community conversation supported by the Minnesota Department of Health and supported by the monitors. Thank you for being with us. And if you missed any portion of this conversation, you can go to KMOJFM.com and click on podcast and you can hear it on demand at your leisure. I'm Freddie Bell and this is KMOJ, the people station. Thank you for being with us.